how disabled am I? You know, um, do I want to even own that label? I don't like the label. It feels very othering. And I know I'm, I'm coping with things. You know, I know that I'm not, I'm not the same as I was um, prior to my first injury. This is TBI, Talking Brain Injury, with Brain Injury Alliance Colorado, sharing stories from TBI survivors and their supporters from all across the state. My name's Phil Lindemann. I'm a mentor with BX since 2019 and four-time recipient of brain injuries I don't even remember, plus a whole bunch I kind of sort of do remember. Today, I talk with Lorena Gabor. She's a one-time assistant professor and a lifelong learner who believes the best road to recovery is the one you build yourself. There are no wrong paths, but... The way you and others process your injury can make your path longer and more difficult. Sometimes the universe bonks us on the head for a reason or whatever injury or whatever. I I believe things happen for a reason. Lorena's path to TBI advocacy started young as a teenager with political activism. It now includes meditation, spirituality, and more recently, somatic therapy. It's a powerful treatment for post-traumatic stress. She sees ability and disability as a continuum, saying, at any one point, we have all been on one side or the other. It's Phil with the Talking Brain Injury Podcast here with uh, Brain Injury Alliance Colorado. And today I've got a guest from Inglewood, Lorena. Lorena, thanks for making time to be here. Hi, Phil. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. We met each other at the um, Brain Injury Symposium that was, mm-hmm. what, back in, I don't know, the fall sometime. Tell me about how you got involved with the symposium. How'd you even get hooked up with that? I guess I found Bayak sometime during the pandemic, maybe a, after, a year after my last brain injury. I've had three-ish concussions, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe a little more. And uh, I wish I had known that there is a national network of you know, brain injury support, you know, after my first concussion, that was really bad, like around 2013. So yeah, thankfully, I found my way to BIAC, um, just happenstance. Um, I was on a listserv with uh, a social worker, I'm a social worker. Okay. And somebody mentioned they were looking for brain injury patients, if anybody had any clients that, you know, I think is mostly folks that work directly case managers on this listserv. And I replied and I said, I don't, but I am a brain injury survivor myself. And um, yeah, like, what do you do? Who do you work? And I just started asking her. So the social worker needed a social worker and the social <laughs> worker was in New York and she hooked me up with like, oh my gosh, there's so many resources nationally. And that's how I found my way to Bayek. And that's a longer answer to your simple question. But uh, I guess I've been on on Bayek's listserv and learned about the symposium and thought this it would be good for me to check out. Yeah, it's yeah. funny how the help you need or the help you've been looking for will sometimes just find you. Like you said, like, like yeah. you didn't know that this network existed. And then all of a sudden... Somebody in New York <laughs> introduced you to something that's happening right here in Colorado. Well, and everywhere, too. I mean, yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I think I mentioned it actually at that conference, one of the first workshops I went to, um, where there was um, 
maybe I think you were, were you on the panel? There were some brain injury survivor panelists. I don't know if you were one of them, but. Yeah, I was part of the panel about, um, okay. oh, the. Okay, uh, good. That's how I saw you. Yes. Yeah, about lived experience. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm sorry. Again, my my memory is <laughs> not great. As you know, one of those symptoms can be that. Right. Welcome to the club. <laughs> right. And here. I mentioned, yeah, I mentioned there like how maddening I felt that. I feel it's a disservice to all of us struggling, you know, with with this these serious symptoms that we still have uh, as brain injury survivors. I don't even know if the I should call them symptoms. Actually, they're just our lived experience. That you know, you go the medical establishment just has not much to offer. So you know, I saw a neurologist um, and my family doctor and neither of them gave me any kind of um, referrals to resources. You know, it was just like, do you want medication for your headaches? Um, Otherwise you just need to rest. Yeah. Treating the symptoms instead of helping you treat the, treat the, treat the whole issue. Yeah. So, so, you know, uh, unfortunately we have to find out about these things sometimes in roundabout ways, because the people that we might otherwise rely on to support us with these things from the medical establishment don't themselves perhaps know. And, and that just feels like a real disservice. Like shouldn't they avail themselves of making these simple resources that my God, they should know about available to their clients, to their patients. And, and as I'm talking to um, a lot of medical professionals, it seems as though it's getting that way, but very slowly. And and it all depends on who you go see sometimes too. Yeah. Like there's yeah. there's some people that are very in tune with it, and it's usually because they themselves know right. somebody or they've had experience with brain injury. And so it's right. kind of like one of those things where, you know, if they if they're kind of far away from it anyway, uh, yeah. they're they usually don't know the resources. But I feel like it's getting a little bit better, just a touch better. So, yeah, um, we need maybe more advocacy around it because, um, yeah, and, and I love doing advocacy. So maybe that'll be something, I don't know if BIAC has an advocacy arm, but um, I'd be happy to join in on that, actually. That's arising for me right now because, yeah, it's needed. It's needed. I know that one of the, the other folks on the, cl- on the panel, uh, Laura, mm-hmm. uh, does advocacy around migraines, uh, but I don't know how much advocacy re- exists around uh, brain injuries in general. And, you know, it's it's one of those hidden disabilities that, um, that are really hard, you know? Um, and I think we should be able to talk more about those things and normalize, you know, the, the lived experience of, of all of us, you know, dealing with these hard things. Well, and I got to say, you've got a deep history of advocacy and well, because because I asked you, you know, before we got on the podcast, biggest Mm -hmm. heroes of all time, MLK Jr. and John Lewis, like civil rights advocates. You tell me about, you know, your connection to like, you know, civil rights advocacy and just those those heroes that you have, those people that were doing great work, you know, through the 50s and 60s. Yeah, thank you. Those are just the folks that came to mind in that moment. But um, there's so many. There's so, so many. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I was a young activist, I guess I'll start with saying <laughs> that. Um, yeah. You know, uh, happenstance again, thanks to my first boyfriend when I was like 15 years old. Um, 
he was what what was what's called a red diaper baby. Um, his parents were socialist communists, and um, he introduced me to. He took me to my first protest in Washington D.C. Uh, you know, as a New Jersey kid, um, around um, God in in the I guess late eighties. I'm showing my age um, uh, around um, Central America and um, yeah, um, supporting um, civil rights struggles in in Latin America. And as a Latina, that really called to me. Um, and I was never the same. I never turned back. Um, I just started learning about the injustices in our world and could relate as a first generation Latina, you know, with a working class mom, um, single mom growing up. I, I knew injustice in, in my own lived experience. Um, and uh, and that became my saving grace. Um, you know, I, I credit social activism with kind of saving my life. I don't know what it would have been if I hadn't found that path um, as a young activist. Um, it's it's shaped my whole life um, as a social worker. I became a social worker, a social work professor. Um, yeah, I've just, uh, I've dedicated my life to fighting injustice and um, helping to have the struggles of um, particularly immigrant communities, um, but black and brown and indigenous people um, heard and recognized. Yeah, it's not just a job for you. Like it's oh. no, it's, it's it's your core. Uh, it's my core. It really is. Yeah, um, I'm taking a break from it right now as I'm working on my healing. Um, I also have a very spiritual side to me. Um, I think that's why I love MLK and uh, maybe John Lewis as well as I, I love their gentle souls. Um, there's fierce advocates um, that um, in my mind really embodied um, their, their values, walk the walk. Um, and they, I, I feel like they, they had, well, definitely MLK. I, I know less about John Lewis. He's more of a newer hero uh, mm -hmm. that I, I would like to learn more about. But yeah, I think both of them, uh, that their spirituality um, was at their core as well. Um, and and so I love that they they brought those things together. And that's that's my path as well. You know, how can I embody in a peaceful, loving way um, the the beloved community that I think both of them spoke about? Because we are all truly interconnected, and injustice exists because we we forget that. Yeah, and, well, and I love like you know the spirituality connection too. Because um, sure, MLK and John Lewis, both Southern Baptist preachers, but mm -hmm. I, I, like like you said, they were more than just preachers. They were more than just you know uh, rehearsing the Bible, reciting the Bible. They, right. they they had that deeper connection to the people around them that I think is so. Yeah important to spirituality and you know, as i've been talking to a lot of other people for this podcast or even other you know brain injury survivors i know spirituality and especially like meditation and uh yoga all that stuff is so mm -hmm. so important for absolutely I, I, for recovery but also for dealing with um you know when recovery either goes sideways or when it's doing good it, it just becomes kind of um a part yeah. of life for a lot of folks like i know yoga it's become something that I try to do every single day, um, mm. even if it's only 10 minutes, because first of all, 
I feel better. You know, my, my achy back doesn't ache anymore. (laughs) But then uh, it, it it also just kind of helps me, you know, like, um, well, center. Um, you know, it's weird because you hear all those like buzzwords about, you know, find your center and, but you never really realize what it means until you actually start doing it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been an enjoyable part of, well, what I do. And I know you, you told me that you do lots of meditation, especially. Yeah. Yeah. So my spirituality is, um, I guess I've been on a Buddhist path for, um, about a decade, a little more. Um, and I, yeah, I've always been drawn to Eastern practices. I've, I've done some, I've had some, a Hindu practice in the past as well. Um, so yeah, like, uh, yoga meditation has been a part of my life for a long time. And, um, those are touchstones and practices that I come back to, to just, um, I mean, it's just part of my regular life, but especially in, in challenging times, you know, um, so it brings us to, to the mat, as we say, as to the, <laughs> yeah. cushion, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's medicine. It's, um, I think it's medicine that we all need, um, practice that we all need, like, you know, and we're very secular kind of society. Um, but, uh, but I think spirituality has been with, with humanity for the ages for a reason, you know, it's, there's something intangible that we're, that we can all connect to when we, when we have practices that help us find our core. Well, and I wanted to talk to you specifically about that. So like when you meditate, you know, how are you meditating these days? Because I know that me personally, my form of meditation, I've got a hard time doing the traditional meditation, you know, sitting still, uh, doing all that. My meditations usually, you know, I I live up in the mountains and, you know, a walk in the woods with the dog is usually my meditation. Again, one of those things that I try to find time to do every single day. I blame it on the dog. I say that, you know, the dog, the dog needs to get out, but really it's for me. It's for me for sure. For both of you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, sometimes I wish I I had a dog for that reason. (laughs) (laughs) Great. I love walking. Walking is my medicine as well. And, um, sometimes I don't do it enough. Right. Like, um, but I, I, I know that, um, I am, I feel so much better when I walk. Um, so I would like to, I, I, I'm trying to form new, better habits and like make that a part of my daily practice. Um, but to your, to your question, yeah, I, I hear you, um, sitting meditation is is not easy it it's easy it's simple but it's not easy sitting with yourself sitting with our our crazy you know monkey minds we're not taught to do that you know um it's not it's not easy so for me also yeah movement helps i i like to do yoga in the morning before meditation if i if i can if i have enough time even like you 5 10 minutes something Um, And sometimes even just sitting for five, 10 minutes, you know, if I don't have, I like to do a 20 minute practice. Um, But I've got some physical injuries too. So I'm still trying to find my way with posture sometimes. Um, And I'm I'm trying to cut myself some slack, Phil. I appreciate how you, um, I mean, mentioned for you walking is your, anything. I remember one of my um, first teachers said to me, uh, said to us, um, 
Meditation is anything you do with 100% attention. Um, so walking meditation is absolutely um, a practice. Um, but I do like to sit or sometimes lie down when I'm not feeling, um, yeah, when my head is hurting or whatever, they're lying down meditation um, or guided meditation. Um, so I'm trying to be gentler with myself and not shit on myself, like sitting meditation upright. That's the only way to do it. <laughs> I just sat, I just did a month long meditation retreat with Zen folks and Jesus, are they intense? Uh -huh, yeah, that's the truth. I think it's what scares some people away from meditation. Sometimes yeah, they're like, what well, I've got to do that and be with yeah. myself for two and a half hours upright. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Um, but it's it's good medicine like the practice is to be able to sit with ourselves um because we don't right we we try to um often i'll say myself you know when when things are hard and and we out of compassion i think our bodies just like nope leave walk run watch tv whatever it is you know find a distraction when 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 the thoughts that are coming in are not so kind, you know? Um, yeah. Which, it's, it's funny yeah. how that fight or flight takes all sorts yeah. of different turns. You know, it's, it's yeah. sometimes we can take flight from ourselves. Yeah. Oh, we, we, uh, I, I say, I think most people, most of us live outside of our bodies most of the time and me, and that's the human condition. And so meditation and yoga are ways to to call ourselves back home into our bodies to feel what we're feeling in the present moment to bring awareness more to to our lives because we're often on autopilot and to look at the stuff that's hard to look at because that's how we can see ourselves better and and make some changes i love that well, let's take it back just a little bit. Um, like you said, uh, what car accident was your first real yeah. serious head injury? Um, almost a decade ago at this point, 2013. Yeah, shit. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <Wrong with laughs> it feels like it was just yesterday sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I've been saying eight years for the longest time. You know, I'm actually not certain of the exact date I've got to go and like maybe <laughs> figure that out but yes it was around then and um somewhere here in Colorado no no I was in New Jersey I moved here about six years ago okay six, almost seven years ago um yeah I uh I was on the turnpike in New Jersey heading back from New York um and it was slick weather rain and um my car went into, I was driving probably a little too fast trying to get back home. I have a bit of a speed um, racer foot and um, taking a turn and I spun out and lost control of the car. And um, I saw a tractor trailer was in front of me and I thought, oh my God, I thought I was gonna go under it or something and die. Um, thankfully that didn't happen, but it, it hit me and I don't think it even felt me. It just bumped me in the back and I hit the railing Ooh. and, um, it was terrifying, you know? Um, yeah. Um, I immediately just, I think I, a lot of emotion came up. I, I felt jolted. And then when they, 
you know, I was in a precarious place. Um, I couldn't even move the car um, when they came, the ambulance and whatnot. I didn't want to go to the hospital, but I could feel like I was off. Something was wrong. Um, a friend came and, and my God, did they even come? Something happened. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I think a friend came and got me. See, that's when you know that you had some serious head injury is that those those moments are blurry and you can't quite remember them. Yeah, in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to ask this friend. I'm I'm pretty sure that's what happened. And and then it took me like a month and a half um, to recover. I wasn't able to work. Um, I had loss of um, I was scared to walk by myself like I had balance issues. Um, and the light bothered me, you know, headaches. Um, I was in real bad shape. Um, I think what helped was uh, a friend from out of state came to visit and um, I pushed myself to um, to to go out with them because um, because they were visiting and and that forcing myself like, helped me to see oh you're not as bad as you thought you can you can do this yeah okay yeah Yeah. i i I think that's one of those experiences that a lot of people um with car accident share is that man it maybe at first you don't think it's too bad and then you're dealing with some serious after effects of you know the head injury plus the accident itself in general like uh, ptsd with accident like that's got to be a thing yeah Oh, definitely. I was scared to be in a car for yeah. a bit, to drive with other people. And, and I still don't like driving. I'm still afraid to drive in weather. I won't drive when it's there's snow, um, when it's snowing or raining. Okay. And this winter has been a rough one then because <laughs> we, we've had a snowy winter in Colorado. It's been uh, yes. the whole Thankfully, state. Yes, yes. Thankfully, I'm not working right now. Um, and so I, yeah, can stay home or I was on retreat in January in New Mexico, so I didn't have to drive. So it's been okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Good, good. Uh, Well, and is that where some of, you also mentioned that you got some uh, physical stuff. Is that where it came from, stemmed from the car accident or is it from other injuries you had? stuff, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of injuries I've, I've had. Um, Yeah. Yes. But, but all related to, I, I had a ski accident, uh-huh. um, uh, like in 2017, and that really messed me up with my neck. Yeah, as well. So, Ooh. what happened there? I got to ask. Well, I've always, I just always was a beginning skier, just never skied enough to be really proficient. But I, I think I'm a little fearless, so I look like I'm, I'm, I know what I'm doing. Um, and you know, I caught on pretty quickly, uh, but I hadn't been skiing in, in some years and I'd never really skied out here. Mm-hmm. Um, but my then boyfriend, you know, we, we went to Montana, he was from Montana and, um, I think, yeah, I just wasn't used to that kind of snow and maybe it was a little tired. It was last run. Um, and it was see, two of my boyfriends have really messed me up with this. They think I'm doing better than I am. And they're like, come on, let's, they get bored of being on the green runs with me. Like, come on, we can do a little bit more. Oh boy. And, yeah. So, so yeah, I took a bad fall. Oh. And, um, I hit my head again. Yeah. 
See, see, and those ski accidents, just like uh, just like car accidents, they can be rough. Actually, there's there's been an issue lately with um, Apple Watches. You know, they got the crash detection feature. Yeah, yeah, and (laughs) skiers are now setting off uh, Apple Watch crash detection because yeah, because they come to quick stops. Like even if they're not crashing, sometimes if they just come to a fast hockey stop, they can set it off. Yeah. And then 911 gets called and they're like, were you just going to a car accident? No, I'm on the slopes. I'm skiing. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it just shows, um, yeah, you, it just shows that, you know, skiing, you can go just as fast and stop just as rapidly as, you know, being in a car accident. Oh, absolutely. It's dangerous. You know, after that accident, I was like, who the hell invented this as a sport? This is insane. <laughs> this isn't even sorry. fun. <laughs> oh my God. No, it's fun. But <laughs> too I'm much like, fun oh, sometimes, I think. Yeah. I, I, what came to mind was only white people would come up with this kind of sport. <laughs> Just no, no regard for like, you're invincible. The world belongs to you. Sure. Of course I can fly down a hill at 50 miles an hour and nothing will happen. <laughs> a, an icy mountain with nothing under my feet, but uh pieces of plastic. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I think I'm done with skiing. I'm too, I'm too terrified to get another concussion. I just kind of want to walk around in a bubble now. Um, so yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, yeah. I understand, you know, cause I, I, I'm a big snowboarder. It's really, you know, it's the big reason I live up here and, um, yeah. I, I don't know if I could give it up, but I also do see how sometimes, uh, so my wife, her sister, they come out, oh, once every couple of years to go ski. And um, I think sometimes I am a little like your boyfriend or ex-boyfriend was with you, where I'm like, "You come on, Corey, you can make it down this slope. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just see her be like, she gets to the bottom. She's made it to the bottom every time. <laughs> but she always gets down to the bottom. She's like, it's the last time I'm going skiing with you, Phil. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. I'm done taking her down the, I'm done taking her down the black. I guess we'll, 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 we'll leave her on the blue. (laughs) Along with meditation. Um, what are some other tactics that you found to, you know, just kind of make life yours again, uh, after, you know, these head injuries you've had? Well, I'm still trying to sort that out. (laughs) I feel like, um, yeah, this, I guess the last head injury I had just before the lockdown, um, I, I, yeah, kind of put, I went into lockdown before the lockdown started, <laughs> it put me in a timeout. And, you know, when the lockdown started, I, I thought, wow, mother earth is putting all of us on lockdown. And I felt a little good about it. Cause I was feeling sorry for myself for being <laughs> I had no idea it would last so long, right? Um, but all of that to say, like, I guess I want to, what's coming to mind is to share, you know, I, I feel like for me, um, and I wonder if this is true for you and maybe others, but sometimes the universe bonks us on the head for a reason or whatever injury or whatever. I, I believe things happen for a reason. And um, so I'm I'm not working. Um, I've, um, I've left my job. Um, thankfully I'm, I'm still earning until the end of August. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm open. I'm taking time to look and see what is it that I need to do my healing work. Um, I think I needed this for a long time. I know I needed this for a long time. Um, in that, you know, I was dealing with other stuff, um, trauma, uh, 
complex PTSD childhood stuff that um, has always haunted me. Um, and my coping mechanisms, you know, were just um, overwhelmed with the brain injury, you know, so I'm, I'm working on finding new ways um, and meditation and yoga and all that is helpful as well as BIAC, um, a TBI tribe that that comes from that, I think, um, meeting folks um, who are coping with with the impacts of TBI has been helpful. Um, I especially have appreciated, um, we go on hikes sometimes. We haven't actually done anything in a while, um, mm. but I'm hoping to get that going. Um, so being with others and um, yeah, and then just um, finding my way through this. Um, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do next with my life, um, but you know, there's, um, uh, I guess, as as the saying goes, I think um, through the through the cracks is where the light comes in. Hmm. So I'm 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 trying to feel my way through those cracks still. And um, somatic therapy is something I'm leaning into and learning about right now. Um, uh, yeah, for my healing to continue my healing. Um, yeah. You know, I think I still have, uh, as I think we started earlier, the conversation around, you know, these invisible injuries. Um, I think I have still, I've been sitting with this, am I, how, how, how disabled am I? You know, um, do I want to even own that label? I don't like the label. It feels very othering. And I know I'm, I'm coping with things, you know, I know that I'm not, I'm not the same as I was um, prior to my first injury. Um, and I just did a cognitive uh, neuropsych uh, evaluation. I met someone at the BIAC conference. I'm grateful for that. Oh, great. I did that. And she said, I'm, she can't find anything. She's like, you're, uh, you're average to above average for my age and my education and whatever. Um, but I know that there's a lot that they don't, that science is still doesn't know about the brain. Um, and I know that I still get tired. I know I still get headaches. I know that my focusing is still an issue. Um, so it's helpful to know that I'm not as bad as I thought, perhaps again, um, but not perhaps, it is that I need to accept that. and. I still have some things to cope with, you know, and to, to relearn how to make my way. And the biggest thing is acceptance, acceptance of this body as it is and loving it instead of constantly trying to fix mm. and change and um, not good enough. That, that message that kind of resides with that. Yeah. I, I I really like the way how you put that because um, what you said, how disabled am I? You don't like that label. I don't, I don't like that label either. You know, when folks talk about brain injuries being a disability or, you know, knocking you down to the point that um, you, you feel disabled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't like that label either, but uh, you know, sometimes I guess it, it reminds me of, um, oh, one of my friends that I've met through BIAC, Jeremy, um, his question that he has often is, what is my disability? And I, I think he asks that often because he personally doesn't feel disabled. He doesn't feel as though he should be in, you know, in that category. Um, but uh, the people around him in his life, uh, you know, doctors, everybody else says, well, 
your injury has your injuries set you back to the point that you know you do have a disability now um and i think he's also trying to come to terms with that i I think a lot of people with head injury are trying to come to terms with what i once was able to do i can't do now um so how do i you know how do i make peace with that and move forward and you know live in this live in this body the way that uh, well find the reason for why this happened yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I think our society going back to advocacy and injustice and all of that, like, is, is disabling. I, you know, there's a whole movement of disability justice that um, says, actually, there's nothing wrong with us. It's how we, how we disable others and say, this is the mark. Yeah, you, you must be this high to ride on this ride. And if you can't, then sorry, <laughs> there's no, there's no ramp here for you, right? Often. Now there's obviously the ADA since that there are accommodations that um, policy dictates that have to be made, but it's still pretty bad out there. Like once you have an injury, you notice like, wow, you know, um, there aren't the, the physical stuff you notice more, right? Like le- not as many ramps um, everywhere as, mm you know, not things being not as accessible. Um, but I feel like there's more awareness um, coming online in, in a lot of places. And what I've talked to my students about is like, I feel like ability, disability, it's a continuum. And at any given point, we're all on it, right? Uh, at different areas of that continuum. And when we make accommodations for those that ha- that need the most accommodations, we actually create more freedom and space for everyone to be themselves, to, to be able to learn in the ways that they need to learn, uh, to access um, whatever it is we need to access. Let's make it more spacious um, and less about othering, like there is this, you know, binary or um uh, disabled, not, not um, yeah, that you are or you're not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's not that simple. It's not simple like that. You know, we're human beings. We're complex. So, you know, we could say that people uh, that are otherwise able-bodied might have a disability with language, <laughs> for instance, mm-hmm. uh, other languages, you know, um, it's just, we all have different abilities. And so I would, I'd like to lean into, um, more of an acceptance of all of us just as we are and and learning to love and appreciate the gifts that come when we when things change too you know like perspectives that can change um a more compassionate heart that can that can evolve um from our own suffering um yeah so yeah really to, to put as i on this healing journey like i think like you like all of us like we can make something with this, right? And ch- maybe change the trajectory of our lives to um, to help to help others. Um, as a result, I would like to do that. Um, once I'm, I've got better footing uh, in my own healing. I hope to help others in their healing journeys and acceptance journey, maybe as well to um, to just loving ourselves as we are. Lorena, anybody would be lucky to have you as an advocate on their side. Like that is the heart of advocacy it is like you said, accepting and, you know, uh, well, working for others to hopefully find the acceptance that they need. Um, like you said, not, uh, not worrying about, well, you're not this, so you're obviously this. 
It's mm-hmm. the continuum. Yeah. 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 We're all plenty good enough, great enough, just as we are. And um, I think uh, we often forget that because we don't get those messages of, you know, um, self-love and reinforce. There's a whole, you know, self-love and self-care movements out there and these buzzwords and whatnot. But what does it really mean at the end of the day? And, um, you know, in general, media, social media doesn't doesn't help us with that so much. Um, so, yeah, it's changing. But how yeah. do we together and our society to to keep making improvements and accepting people um, just as they are and making more space and room for all of us? Yeah, and I think you know, just like the term disability, um, some of those buzzwords can really turn people off. They hear the buzzword and they automatically think, "I want nothing to do with what it's talking about." Instead of, right. "Well, That's what it. what is it actually talking about?" Yeah, right. Get it past the word. Yeah. It, it's it's like not good enough. That's what it implies. That's why I don't like it. It's like yeah. not abled, disabled, not a no. And I would, you know, I feel like people in the disability justice community have reclaimed that term. Yeah. These folks have done with queer and black and all, you know, these terms that have been pejorative um in the past. Um and I guess, um, yeah, I would like to learn more. I've I've started learning a bit about disability justice, and I am just so amazed and inspired by what what I have um, heard and learned from from activists. Um, so I, I have a journey to go on in that way for myself, um, and and learning more about that so that I could be a, a better advocate and and accept my limitations as they are. Yeah. And my gifts, my new gifts as a result. Well, Lorena, I definitely am going to follow you on that journey as well. It's something that I also plan on doing a lot more of, partly inspired by, like I said, my friend Jeremy and that Mm -hmm. one simple question he has of what is my disability and why he just hates having to ask that question. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we can focus, uh, you know, what comes to mind is what is my ability today? What is my capacity today? What does my body need for me today? How do I, how do I show myself the love and attention that we all deserve? Um, so that's a practice I'm, I'm trying to do is check in with my body more and say, what is my capacity? And um, yeah, I, these are kind of questions I'd ask my students. I started um, promoting disability justice in my classes, and I found mm. that many of my students were so grateful. I think all of them, but some of them would disclose their own struggles then. Um, What is my um, access need in this moment today? Uh, And what is my capacity? And And when you talk about, yeah, when you talk about classes, what kind of classes? I taught social work at the University of Denver. Got it. Got it. Yeah. um, To graduate students. And um, yeah, so I started normalizing as a result of my um, journey, um, talking about um, that I have some limitations, you know, like on Zoom, when I we were teaching online, um, you know, if I, when I'm a student, I'm, I'm taking classes uh, from on somatic healing, uh, I'm often off screen, because I don't want to stare at the computer, because the, the, the last um, injury I had messed with my um, my eyes, mm-hmm. and I have urgent eye issues now. So um, looking close up and at screens um, 
drains my battery is is hard on my brain. Um, so that's the kind of access needs I would make, you know, ask the student, we'd go around and just as intros, name, gender pronouns, access needs, and then capacity is like your, your battery. Where are you at today with uh, your energy? It's a, you know, I feel like a, a good 85% right now. And that's, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, so, you know, allowing, like asking, you know, one of the questions we ask our each other, but we don't often really stop to listen and mean is how are you doing? And so I feel like more of that is happening now in meetings and whatnot to have real check-ins, like, where am I at? What, what am I bringing? Cause when we, we have meetings with others, whether it's work or just friends, like you're entering into a relationship to talk about whatever it is, but you're, you're coming in with whatever it is you're coming in with. So creating space to acknowledge, you know, what it is that our humanity, our body's doing, um, what what our needs might be, um, and our capacity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're not all a bunch of energizer bunnies that are, you know, running on hundred ten percent at all hours of the minute, you know, all all hours of the day. I would like to to believe. <laughs> <laughs> all good stuff to meditate on. As I'm out walking the dog, yeah, definitely these things to think on about, you know, exactly. Um, well, like you said, um, checking in with myself, checking in with others, seeing, uh, you know, uh, being more aware and present in the moment, and um, yeah, uh, how how best to help others while I'm also trying to help myself. I think that's one journey that I've been on as well. Is um, you know, uh, I, I feel like I've been doing a pretty good job helping myself recover. All right, now how do I um, you know bring that out to everybody that I, uh, that I run into instead of sometimes my natural go-to is, um, I'd just rather be alone right now. Um, yeah. and that's good. That's fine. But I think sometimes I defer to that more than I should. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aww. Well, be gentle with yourself, Phil. Don't shit on yourself <laughs> as my old therapist would say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, trying not to. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we can, we, yeah, because it's, I think when we create more spaciousness in our own life, um, and like one of my, my Dharma teachers says, we should be giving, it should again, but um, ideally we're giving from our overflow and not from our reserves, right? So as we nurture ourselves and fill our cup, naturally, um a more open heart develops through practice and may this my spiritual side again that wants to reach out and give and offer you know what we have to offer to others loving attention whatever it is it doesn't have to be anything giant but just with the people that in our lives that we're with you know how do we offer the best that we have to offer to them our presence you know our our love um, and that comes from when we have more capacity, right? Um, so I, I, I wish for all of us to have um, what we need um, resources wise and creating enough spaciousness through practice for ourselves that we're nurturing ourselves to a point that we are overflowing and then naturally that, that giving happens. Um, I think that, our world needs all of us to feel to feel more at capacity. Um, there'll be more peace in the world, I think, when we're when we're all better 
Ag- better uh, equipped Agreed. to offer that love out. Um, but uh, yeah, we can weaponize. I should do this. I should do that. You know, um, I, I it's something, you know, um, I struggle with as well. Um, but I'm learning, you know, I, I can't give more than I have to give, um, you know, myself at any given moment. Agreed. Well, Lorena, thanks again for sharing all that you've uh, well gone through and learned. And um, I cannot wait to see where you're able to take advocacy because I, I really do think the TBI community um, uh, could use you. Mm, Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for hearing me prattle on. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lorraine, I, I can tell that you were a teacher because mm-hmm. I, I, sh- I felt like I should have been taking notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. And thank you for the, you know, this, what you're doing is a gift, is a service to those of us in, in this community and beyond. So thank you for your labor. You're already doing a lot. Um, and I look forward to... Um, listening to more of your podcasts well and i look forward to meeting more folks like yourself lorena that got great experiences and stories to share and um well you know in the end that is the whole idea behind this podcast was you know helping us all learn by talking to others that have been through well what we're going through right now yeah all right thanks again phil